got a couple of pictures I want to show you up here, and uh, let's see what we got here. Does that look like a pass or a fail? That is a weightlifting fail. Um, by the way, you can, do, you can go on YouTube and you can find all kinds of uh, videos, but I just was going to show you the, uh, the pictures here. Here's another one. That's the same dude, and that is more fail. He's still failing, yes. Next one. That guy, I love, I love the facial expression. Now, just so that you don't think I'm picking on guys, here's the next one. That's a woman. She's failed. But just so that you'll know I'm picking on guys, I thought this one was funny too. Goes to use the machine after woman is done, has to decrease the weights. I am making fun of the men. Now, here's the deal. In each of those pictures, somebody thought they could lift a tremendous amount of weight, and did they pass or fail? Now, this is kind of what we do as humans. We think we can handle the weight of the world on our shoulders by ourselves, and many times we get crushed in our souls, right? Anybody ever been crushed because you just tried to do too much by yourself? Well, that's kind of what we're going through in our new series, which is Soul Detox. And if you missed last week, there's a key thought that is going through our whole series, all four weeks of this series, and here it is. We are not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. And this is a big deal. Because when your body dies, when your physical body dies, it's planted in the ground, but your soul lives on forever. Here's a couple of verses about our bodies and our souls. First is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body. I love how the New Living Translation does that for you. It, it's calling your, your physical body a tent, and it's saying that a, a, a temporary tent will be taken down and put away. So it, making sure you understand what it's talking about. He says, when that's taken down, that is, when we die and leave our earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So your earthly body is temporary, your soul lives forever. Here's another verse that I, that I like about uh, your body, about your physical body. 1 Timothy 4, 8, physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is valuable in every way because it promises life both for the present and for the future. Now, God's word is so practical. God's word is saying we need to take care of these bodies because the Bible calls our body a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christ follower, you've asked God's Holy Spirit to come and take residence up inside your body, and, and so we should take care of these bodies. But the Bible says physical exercise, yes, it's valuable, but it's only valuable in the here and now. Spiritual exercise lasts forever. Now, um, what's going on is... A lot of people in our society, thank you, that, that, I'm getting some air conditioning now. Whoo, bless the Lord for air conditioning. Um, a lot of people in our society are walking around with heavy souls. There's an article came out recently, and it said that, that 2014, or actually this was a couple of years ago, but it's describing the here and now. We are the people with the highest percentage of folks walking around with low-grade depression. There is really something called low-grade depression. I'm not talking about um, clinical depression, which is a huge deal, and you need to, to have treatment for that. I'm talking about we are, our generation has the highest percentage of people walking around with low-grade depression of any generation in history. We have more things at our disposal. We've got more technology. We've got nicer things. We have more money than ever before, and yet people are walking around, and they, don't even, they can't even put their finger on it. They're not sure why, um, why things are going the way they are. They, nothing is really, really wrong, but nothing is really, really right in their lives. 
And so they're struggling. They have this heaviness of soul, and they're just existing, not making a contribution. And people are longing for more than that. And um, I want you to see that this is not a new phenomenon to 2014. It was actually in existence way back in the time of the psalm. Psalm 42.5, the psalmist says this. Why are you downcast, oh my what? Soul. Why so disturbed within me? Now, all of us have felt discouraged. All of us have, have, have gone through tough times. And the psalmist is asking, why? Why do we get down? Why is our soul downcast? And that's what we're going to figure out today is why people are walking around with heavy souls. So the first reason is very simple. It's hurts from the past. Why are souls heavy? Because we are caught up in the things in our past that continually weigh us down. Now, if you know anything about Jeremiah, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because what do you think he did a lot of? He, he, he cried a lot, but I want to show you that he had good reason to, and, and yet he still trusts in God. But here's what he says in Lamentations 3.19. Lamentations literally means to cry out. So we got a whole book in the Bible that just means cry out to God. Here's what he says. I remember all my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is what? Downcast within me. Now, Jeremiah's people have been carried off. They have disobeyed the Lord. The Babylonians have come. They have defeated them and taking them all into captivity. Jeremiah's in captivity. and He's going, I remember when and my soul is downcast within me. And I think some of you are, are almost buried by the weight of your past. Someone hurt you. It was unfair and you just can't get over it. Um, you missed a great opportunity, and you can't go back and reclaim that opportunity. There could be someone who walked out of your life, and, and you weren't the, the spouse that you should have been. Or there could have been abuse in your past. And whatever it is, it's overwhelming. It's like a dark cloud is just holding on to your soul. Um, and I would just like to, to ask, because you don't get well until you start admitting that you have a problem. I just want to know, are there people here today that you are burdened down by the weight of something in your past. Might have been something you did. Might have been something that somebody did to you. Let me just see your hands. Keep them up for just a second. That's a lot of us. Burdened by the past, it weighs us down. But there's a second category. We're, our souls are heavy because we're trouble, there's trouble in the present. Now, this kind of seems silly, but let me, let me explain it this way. Some of you, this kind of is how I am. I tend to think that the past is the past. I don't worry a whole lot about the past. I may think about it for a few days, maybe even a few weeks, and then I get over it. I think there's nothing I can do. But the present, it's not my past. I don't worry about 10 years ago. I don't worry about 30 years ago. I don't even worry about five years ago. It's right now that sometimes gets me down and has me waking up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep. Look what... Um, one of Job's friends, we know if you've read the book of Job, you know this is, this is a bad deal that happened to Job. Job had a really good life and then he had everything taken away from him. And, and in chapter 4, one of his friends, who never should have spoken, one of his friends says this to him. But now trouble comes on you and you're discouraged. It strikes you and you're dismayed. If you read the first few verses of that chapter, the friend says, man, you had it all, Job, and you were good. And he even said, Job, you used to comfort other people with your words. But then he kind of brings it down. And he says, but now you have trouble. And he says, let me comfort you with my words. If you know the story, did the friend comfort him with his words? No, he did a horrible job. He should have just shut up. In fact, God confronts him at the end. There's three friends, and God says, I'm going to talk to my servant Job. He's going to pray for you because you were wrong in your assessment of what was going on. 
And so the friend didn't help, but the friend said, now, here's the thing. Things are going on now, and some of you are struggling. Many of you are saying, man, I don't even care about the past. I am in deep weeds right now. It could be financial. It could be relational. It could be anything. I am hurting right now because of the problems right now. How many of you would raise your hands? There's stuff right now that I'm struggling with. Okay, it's a lot of people. Some of you past and, and right now. Well, there's, there's a third one. Third reason our souls are heavy, and it's worry about the future. Many people are consumed with the what-ifs. What if we can't pay the bills? What if one of us gets sick? What if we can't get pregnant? What if we can get pregnant? That's usually the dude. Um, what if we can't stop getting pregnant, you know? Uh, some folks, they just, just, whatever they do, they get pregnant. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And we're paralyzed today. We miss today because we're so worried about the future. Now... Jesus was fully man and fully God. He's the only person to ever walk this earth that that could claim that. And right before Jesus was going to go to the cross, he started thinking about the future. And he he gathers up some disciples. He takes them out to the Garden of Gethsemane. and, And he is overwhelmed with grief about what's going to happen because he knows he's about to go and die on the cross for the sins of the world. He knows that when the sins of the world come upon him, his father is going to look away from him. He knows that he's going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows all this. He's in the garden and look what happens in Mark fourteen thirty three. He took Peter, James, and John with him and because he was deeply troubled and distressed, he told them, not my mind, not my body, but my what? My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. What was crushed? His soul was crushed with grief. Some of you are distraught right now because you're in trouble. Some of you are looking back and you've got some really bad stuff. I know a lot of your stories. You've got some really difficult things to overcome. Some of you, you're in trouble right now. Some of you are worried about the future and some of you are going, is this sermon ever going to get positive, you punk? Right? Because, you know... Yes, I just wanted to get you to, oh man, I can't even say it. There's like five people here that remember uh, Hee Haw, right? <laughs> Gloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. I can't believe I remember those words. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I turned 50 this year. That tells you how old I am. Here's the thing. You're, you're carrying around this tremendous burden that you don't have to. Uh, a few, a couple years ago, um, I had this thing. That some of you noticed that I'm a Crocs-only type person, right? In fact, one time, I've known Keith and Heather for, for over 11 years now, and we were up here working on the sound system one day, and I had on tennis shoes, and Keith goes, dude, I have never seen you in tennis shoes before. And, and I'm like, well, I'm going to work out, so I had to wear tennis shoes, you know. Uh, but I'm a Crocs person. There's a reason I'm a Crocs person. Uh, a couple years ago, I had this, this pain in my foot, you know, and it's kind of right here, right in the middle of the, the third and fourth toes. And it was so bad that, that there would be times I couldn't walk on it. There'd be times I was out here at the church back when we were remodeling the church that I'd be walking along and nobody was out here. And, and I'm grateful to God nobody was because I would fall on the ground in writhing pain and I would have to sit there for a while and then I couldn't walk on it. It hurt so badly. And uh, being, the, being the brilliant man that I am, I didn't go to the doctor. I just kept, you know, dealing with it. And I would go home and, and you know, after working out, and it would feel like a knife. You know, when you heat up a, a, a metal until it's red, it felt like somebody did that and then stabbed it in my foot. And I'd be hobbling around the house, and Janie's like, 
you're not very smart. No, she, she's thinking that. She wouldn't say that. So I finally go to the doctor because, see, one of my good friends is a podiatrist. So I get there, and you know what the first thing he says is? You're an idiot. That's his words. You should have come to me two years ago. And so I said, well, what do we do? He goes, okay, here's what we do. And he starts pressing on my foot. And he, he says, that hurt? Nope. Does that hurt? Nope. He gets to the spot. I climbed the walls. And I'm like, that's it! And he goes, okay, here's the deal. Your nerve is too big. It's called a neuroma. And he said, your nerve has gotten too big because the bones are rubbing on it. And all it's doing is getting thicker and thicker and thicker. And he said, here's our first choice. We're going to give you an injection. Now, the, in the injection, he goes, dude, it's going to hurt. And he said, it's real thick, and so I'm going to stab it in there. And he said, we're going to have to go for a while. And they put it in the top of the foot because you can't handle it in the bottom of the foot. The nerve's in the bottom, so you have to put it in the top and go down there. So the first time, it's so funny, this, this nurse that was there, I didn't know her. She comes up, and, and she's supposed to hold my leg. And so I got my foot out there, and, and Brent's like, dude, you know, you're a good friend of mine, but don't kick me. And uh, she puts her hand on like this. And I'm like, you really think that's going to do anything? He stabs me in the foot. And he's talking. And I mean, this is a big old honking needle. And he's talking to me. And he starts rubbing it with the needle down in there. And I'm, I'm, I'm remembering when Janie had babies and there was Lamaze breathing. I'm going, shh, 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 you know, that type of thing, sweating. And, uh, and I didn't kick him, you know. But I am. I'm really breathing because I'm going, I might pass out. And then he finishes and he pulls it out. No, then he rubs it. He's just talking to me. Been fishing lately. I think they're out at, at Houston County Lake. Man, they're biting and I'm going, shut up and quit rubbing my foot. <laughs> and then he finishes and he goes, now that's not going to kick in for a couple of days. And so we did that. And then, you know, a couple of weeks, I'm all right. It's good. And then the stabbing pain. So I go back and he said, well, you can't have another shot for a while. So we do this for another year. And he keeps stabbing me in the foot, and he's like, dude, this is not going to help. And, and I said, well, how long do we do this? And he said, he said, as long as you can handle the pain. If you want to keep walking around with pain, you just keep doing it. You can do this the rest of your life if you want to. And he said, but you don't have to. He said, we can do surgery, and I can go in there, and I can cut open your foot and cut out about that much of your nerve. And I finally got to the point, and I said, I, I want that. I mean, you've got to be desperate, right? to slice open the top of your foot and cut out part of the nerve. And so now it's weird. I still have some pain. It's nothing like it was. It's weird. It's kind of like when something goes to sleep. So you'd be scratching your, your you know, fourth toe and you can't feel it. Thump it and you don't feel it. You know, that type of deal. But here's the thing. He said, you don't have to carry this burden. We can do something about it. Well, your heavenly father wants you to know that you don't have to carry the burden of a heavy soul. There's something you can do about it. The first thing that you need to do, this is actually isn't on your, your listening guide. How do you handle a heavy soul? First thing you got to do is read the rest of the story. So let's go back through these verses we've already read and read the rest of the story. Psalm 42, 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Then he shifts right here and he does something that, that you're going to have to learn to do. He starts preaching to his soul. He preaches to himself. Here's what he says. Put your hope in God. So he's basically saying, stop whining, soul. You're being a big baby. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, how often do we have church every week? Once. Okay, good. Three people know that. We have it once a week. Okay? How often do we have small groups? 
once, but if you're a man, you could come Sunday morning, you could come Monday night, you could come Thursday night. You could get three if you're, if you're a dude. If you want to go to a, a couple small group and then another one, you could get a couple of small groups. But here's the question. Okay, we have, we have gatherings where we get together a couple of times a week. How often does the enemy attack you? Every day? Now, is it like at 3 o'clock every day? It's all day, every day. So you can't just rely on the church to build you up and to encourage you. You need to learn to preach to your own soul. And we talked about this last week in, in, in my small group. We're going through this soul detox book in our study. And, and this, this family actually got together and they developed an app. It's called Truth or Trash. And what they told their family was, they said, if somebody says something to or about you, because people say things to or about you all the time, right? Yes, okay. So what they said was, if somebody says something to or about you, and it's positive, it's the truth, and it, and it matches up with God's word, then that goes in the truth category. But if someone says something about you that, that is hurtful, that is not true, and it doesn't line up with God's word, it goes in the trash category. So here's the deal. If you, if you come to me... And you say something, and I know in your heart you love me and you want the best for me. Is that going to go in the truth or is that the trash category? Even if it's something that hurts me, if it's true and you come and do that in the right way, that's truth. Those are what the Bible calls words that build up. But if you come at me in in an evil way with those demon eyes, with the raspy voice from hell, when you're angry... And even if what you say is true, but the way you deliver it causes me to move away from God and move away from you, is that truth or trash? Your delivery makes it trash. And we have to learn to take what is true and throw away the rest. We don't have to focus on the trash. Quit letting people who want to tear you down determine your attitude, your outlook in life. Here's what you're going to learn to do. You're going to learn to preach a few things, a few, a few phrases. First is, look for God in your past. When you look back, you're going to see your hurts. We can't forget it. For, forgive and forget? No, you don't forget. And by the way, forgiveness doesn't mean that you trust the person again. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that those are two. Forgiveness is immediate, and we don't have a choice. And we don't forgive for them, we forgive for us. Trust is a different matter. Trust has to be rebuilt. So when you look at your past and you see the pain, change your focus from your problems to the Almighty God. Let me show you this, the rest of the story. Lamentations 3, 19 through 23. Jeremiah says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Okay, in, that, in those two sentences, where is the focus? On problems? Yes. Look what he does. He changes here. Yet I will call to mind and therefore I have hope. Hope comes from a change focus. It, it comes from focusing on God. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here's the thing. I think Jeremiah's in captivity. Does he have it worse than you? Yes. So, here's part of what you do. You remember that it could be worse. Because... All of us are going to go through something this week and it's going to be the, the just horrible catastrophe, end of the world. Come talk to me and tell me your end of the world story and I guarantee you, I can give you a scenario that's worse. Some of you say, my car sucks. 
come to Haiti one time and watch millions of people walk. One time we were going over the mountains. We were going on a fun beach day. Three children, I bet the oldest was six, had big old water bottles and they'd walked from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the mountain. Tell me your car sucks. It could be worse. Some of you, you know, your marriage is just horrible. It could be worse. I can give you a scenario. I I deal with people all the time. I can give you a scenario that's worse than yours. Some of you are are saying, my kids are killing me. I have a friend. I have a friend that that anytime anybody is claiming that their kids are driving them crazy, the friend will say, you want to swap? And, and you start thinking about it, and you go, no, I think I'll keep the trouble I have. I don't want to get the trouble I don't know. It could be worse, right? So instead of focusing on the problem, focus on the problem solver. That just seems, that seems like such an easy decision to me. Focus on the one who can do something about it. If you focus on your problem enough, you will become depressed, Focus on the problem solver and the heaviness in your soul will be lifted. Why? Because the problem's gone? Not necessarily. But because you have God walking with you through it. Talk to any Christ follower who's faithfully followed God for any time and they can tell you story after story of God's faithfulness. Remember back to the time when you first called out to the Lord. Ask Stephanie. She can remember. She was in tears. I remember her and John both. The day they prayed, they were in tears. And, and I think part of it was because the heaviness of their soul had been lifted because they were a child of the King. Remember the feeling you had when you realized your sins would never be counted against you again. Remember the time you prayed during an impossible situation and God did the impossible. Remember the time that you thought you couldn't make your bills and God provides in a way that you never saw coming. And if you're a new lifer, remember new lifers when we needed a building and we bought the skating rink for, and, and 2.1 acres and this house over here, we bought it for $150,000. And the bank said, well, you can have that. And they actually sent out this appraiser. We didn't want to pay for the big commercial appraisal because it was several thousand dollars. So they send out a realtor. And I don't remember what it's called. Somebody out here may know. It's a realtor's opinion. Market analysis, something like that. So anyway, she comes out and does it. And I think it appraised in her mind for $170,000. And we needed $100,000 to renovate this building. And so we had zero money to our name. We couldn't put down a down payment. Um, they weren't going to make us make, put down a down payment for the $150,000 but, um, because it pr- appraised for more than enough. But this place was a rat hole. We couldn't have had church here. And so we said, uh, we need a hundred grand to renovate all of this. And so we hired a commercial appraiser, and I did the math. In order for us to get a hundred thousand dollars without having to come up with several thousand dollars in order to make the down payment, this renovated land, everything had to come out to 320 grand. So I'm on my knees praying, Lord, please give us 320 grand, 320 grand. 300. And so we're praying, praying, we wait for the appraiser, and finally the appraiser calls, and he goes, Hey, Doug, uh, I've done everything. Because what we had to do, we had to submit plans, what the floor was going to be, the type of chairs we were going to have, the sound system, what we were going to do over here in the house. We had to put it all in, and, and we're just waiting. He goes, well, the way I see it, it, it appraises for about $394,000. He says, is that good enough? And I go, whoo-hoo! Called the bank, and they go, you want some more money? I said, no, hundred grand's enough. We, we don't want to be in, in any more debt. 
and God provided. And some of you remember that when the other land on the other side of the house over here, that's another 2.5 acres and a couple of buildings down there came up and and they wanted $45,000 for it and they weren't going to put it on the market and we had no money to our name. Y'all remember that? And we did this, this building a great life. You hear about it all the time. We call it bagel. Thank you. We did this series, and people in this church said, Doug, you're nuts. Nobody is going to pledge for three years. We're going to have this big one-day offering after eight weeks, and we were going to try to raise the money to buy that house, that that land, that 2.5 acres of land. And then we were going to ask people to make a three-year commitment over and above their tithe. Three years! And people in this church, one of them's right there on the front row, said, you're nuts. You remember that? Ryan told me, you're crazy. He's told me that several times in, in the time he's been here. He's, but now he'll go, Doug's crazy, but we, we might ought to go that way. Because, not because I, I provided, but because, here's what happened. We had the one-day offering. Somebody had given us $45,000 as an interest-free loan to buy it, and then we were going to take up a one-day offering, and we were going to pay it back, the money that he'd, he'd given to us. So... Um, we're, we're here and we do the one-day offering. We bring in about $42,000. And then the individual who'd given us a loan said, God told me to give you that money. So in one day, our little church raises 80-something thousand dollars and people said it couldn't be done. And then we started paying on our note for three years. And over three years, we paid off $200,000 and we still had about 50 to go and I kept telling you. And people were going, well, that's good. You've paid off... Uh, $200,000, the bank is calling us saying, you want more money? Y'all are doing great. You're, th- I'm, I'm telling you, they said, we've never worked with a church that's doing as good as your church, so y'all can have more money. I said, we don't want your money. And then I, I remember standing up here one Sunday, and I just, I'd been praying, and I felt like God had not really blown us away yet. And I was telling you about every other week how much we had left, and we had $35,000 in change left to pay off the building. And we get a check for forty grand. For our building fund. You know what that was like to walk in Elkhart State Bank and write a check for 35600 I don't remember what the change was, and slide it across there. And then to get this paperwork to say it's paid for. Remember God in your past. Some of you, you need to remember when you were really going through a difficult time and you're reading the Bible and this verse just jumps out and speaks to your soul and you're going, oh God, I needed that verse. Some of you need to remember when you're driving down the road and you got Christian music on because this doesn't happen when you got non-Christian music on. You got Christian music on and the song speaks to your soul and you're going, oh Lord, that had to come from you. Some of you need to remember the time that you came to church and you were at the end of your rope and it seemed like the sermon was just for you because it was... Because you've got a God who knows you and every bit of the sermon fed your soul. You need to remember that. Not the problems. You need to remember the problem solver. Second thing. You preach to your soul. Cry out to God today. We're going to fly through this. Look at Psalm 142, 2. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. Now, in order to pour out your, your troubles, wouldn't it seem like you'd have to have a lot of them? Because if I just got one, that's not really pouring out. But I, I feel like I've got a bucket, you know, and I'm pouring out my bucket to God. In order to do that, you've got to have a lot. 
David is in a cave hiding from King Saul. David has been told by God, you're going to be the next king. King Saul is trying to kill him so that he can't be the next king. And David is in a cave. Would you say that's a pretty bad situation? He says, verse 3, When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Whenever I go, wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come to help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. David just told God how he felt. Read the Psalms. He's often saying, my God, why will you forsake me forever? And then he has a shift. See, some of you have been way too proper in the way you pray. Some of you need to have some, some R-rated prayer. Some of you need to say to God, God, I'm mad as... And I'm, I can't say that. I can't tell God. I can't cuss when I'm praying to God. But you may be one of those people that can cuss when you pray to God. But anyway, you need to say, God, I'm angry. When are you going to do something? Because he can handle that. Do you know he said in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you? He can take your honesty. A couple of times in the last few months, my daughters have been distraught. And, and there's been times with each of them that I've gone out and just hugged on them and just let them cry on my shoulder. And I normally ask permission, but they were gone this weekend, so I'm blaming it on Disciple now. You can, you can yell at Joe for this because I didn't get permission. <laughs> One night, I um, noticed Hannah wasn't in the, in the living room, so I went in her bedroom and she was crying. And she didn't want to talk about it because she's a real private person, and I know that's kind of me. And so I just went over on her bed, and I started snuggling up with her. And, and she just was crying and snuggling and crying and snuggling. I finally got her to talk. And, and she didn't want to say some things because she didn't want to hurt my feelings or make me mad or whatever. But I said, baby, I want you to talk to me. And she's talking, and, and I don't even know how long we were there. One of the most holy moments I've had as a dad because my daughter's head is on my shoulder and she's pouring out her heart to me and I don't even care what she says that if it hurts me. You understand what I'm saying? Because I'm connecting with my daughter on a soul level. And I was honored that Hannah poured out her heart to me. I wasn't offended. We were talking one time out here in the living room, just me and Hannah. I said, what's wrong? Nothing. I said, yeah, something's wrong. I don't want to say. And we talked and I felt honored that my daughter would tell me what was on her heart. Rachel's done this. Caleb and I have even had a couple of those. He didn't put his head on my shoulder. <laughs> but even when my kids say things to me that are, that are hurtful, when I know it comes from their soul, I'm honored. Your heavenly Father is honored when you pour out your soul to Him. Some of you need to get real Quit praying these, like you saw in the video, Our Father who art in heaven. You need to pray real prayers. So there's one last thing. We're going we're gonna to finish this up. Preach to your soul. God's power is enough for the future. When I first did this, I put God's power is enough for my future, and I thought, man, that is incredibly arrogant because God's power is enough for everybody's future, not just mine, not just yours. There was a time in the Old Testament, um, Hezekiah was a good king, and, and Hezekiah's people were surrounded by the army of the Babylonians. And, and look what he says. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army. What kind of army? What does that mean? Big honking army. All right? More of them than there are of us. Uh, do not be afraid of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power. Everyone say greater power. Greater power. With us. Where is the greater power? 
than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh. So he's saying, you see all of those people out there? What you see is what you get. That's all they've got is the strength of man. Look what he says. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. The bad guys, they've only got what they've got. But we have what God has. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah the king said. What does God have? The power to raise the dead, the power to part the Red Sea, power to cause the sun to stand still while Joshua pursued the enemies, power to heal diseases, power to cast out demons. God's power is enough. Why so downcast, O my soul? Do you believe this stuff or not? Because I want to read to you real quickly before we just have a time of silence. Straighten up. There we go. Wouldn't, it wouldn't go that way. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave up him all for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And then, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're death all day long? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither, pre- neither present nor the future, nor powers, nor any de- height or depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that good or not? What can separate you from the love of your heavenly Father? Nothing. Nothing. Stop looking at your past and seeing problems. But you don't just cry out to God. You don't just throw everything at God because cast all your cares, that really means throw it. You throw everything at God as hard as you can. But then you stay in His presence until you worship Him And he gives you the strength to endure. Does that make sense? Stop having a heavy soul because you don't have to. Bow your heads for just a moment. We're going to be silent before the Lord. Whatever you need to say to God, you say to him in the next few seconds. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask that you make yourself very real to your people today. Whether it's hurts from the past, whether it's trouble now, or whether it's worry about the future, calm and still our hearts before you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.